0: Get those finger guns ready we are live folks the World Economic Forum's Davos 2023 conference is wrapped up and uh, there's a plenty of crazy stuff that we need to talk about that they have uh, discussed and then also if we have time we're going to get into whether or not the Davos and, and their uh, influence across the world is diminishing we're going to be talking about all of this and more on episode 382 of the in the tank podcast Oh yeah, new song, same old show. Uh, We had to switch the song because YouTube keeps dinging us for the copyright of the song, which we bought the copyrights for. So we're trying to figure all that out. But as always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. Welcome to the In The Tank podcast. Joining me today, I've got Jim Lakely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you today?
1: Good sir i'm doing great uh i like that uh, theme song and uh that's because i picked it and put it in there it reminds me of the buffy the vampire slayer uh theme song if uh a great show if any are any fans of that on our podcast so we probably won't keep it but we just want to see if we can run one podcast while getting dinged for copyright so uh, exactly. it's kind of an experiment right right no doubt also joining us we have
0: justin haskins director of the center uh, socialism research center got it at the heartland institute how are you today good sir
2: I was doing okay until that intro. That intro really <laughs> depresses me. Um, you know, what? why is it that we can't get this whole copyright thing? I actually am not sure that it's YouTube, by the way. I don't want us to slander YouTube's ter- already terrible name. Um, I think it's possible that it's the copyright holder that's screwing us over. So if you are watching right now, whoever made that theme song and we <laughs> bought it from you, just know that we're really unhappy <laughs> and we're coming for you.
1: No, 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 Justin, don't, don't say that because <laughs> no. actually, Sorry, we're... we're
2: not coming for you. We, yeah. I didn't mean that. That's not we are really unhappy and you're going to find out about it soon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> also right, joining us. Up. We have Chris Talgo, editorial director at the Heartland Institute. How are you today? Good sir.
3: I love the theme song. It reminds me of late eighties, early nineties, you know, uh, great rock and roll so to me to me it's great choice jim just just to you know wrap this up though but
1: i actually when i bought the you know supposedly the the copyright version that you could use on live streams instead of just putting it in a single video that apparently that was the the mix-up uh i actually left a review for the song i gave it five stars and said i love this song and the guy who wrote the song emailed me back saying thanks i love that song too so Justin, I've got I've almost got this handled and I hope you didn't blow it.
0: <laughs> no. We're 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 coming to talk He's to, dead you. to me. I don't know and maybe something He's else. Um so <laughs> audio only listeners that are probably catching the show on a Friday, which is the vast majority of those people that are listening to the audio only. You can join us a day earlier. Catch the show on Thursdays at noon Central Time, where we're live streaming it on Twitter and YouTube and Facebook and Rumble. And you can join in the conversation live, throw your comments and questions in the chat. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Also, if you want to guarantee that your question will be addressed, you can utilize the Super Chat function on YouTube. It's a new function that we're getting going here um as long as there's nothing like you know terrible in there that's gonna get us banned or uh anything like that we will read that question and address it so check that out it's a fun way to support the show and interact with us housekeeping jim what are we like a month away from the 15th international conference on climate change what any any new news to talk about there's still tickets available uh what do you got to say about that
1: there are there are uh, tickets available for sure uh they you can get those at heartland.org. There's a link right there on the top of the page to send you to the climate conference website where you can get all the information on our speakers and tickets. I think I mentioned last week that uh, Richard Lindzen, uh, one of the most prominent scientists in the world on climate, is going to be presenting at our conference. Um, Just learned actually yesterday, there's another uh, one thing about climate science, you know, there's lots of different disciplines that go into understanding what's happening to the climate. And what's actually fun after I've been to, what, 10 of these already um, out of the 15. And what's really fun when you're there and you know all these scientists is that they get into little friendly arguments about, uh, like, say, a geologist. It's like, nah, it's geologists, they're the ones who really know what's going on in the climate. <laughs> then an atmospheric scientist like, okay, what, what are you talking about? You know, the climate is about the temperature of the air the earth and all that stuff. So it's kind of funny. But uh, Ian Plymer is a very prominent, award-winning geologist from Australia And, you know, normally it's kind of expensive to fly somebody from Australia all the way to Orlando, Florida, to give a presentation at your climate conference. But as luck would have it, he was already coming to Florida (laughs) that week. (laughs) And so we're putting him on the program. Uh, It's going to be great. It's been all about 12 years since he last spoke at one of our conferences. So that's terrific. Uh, And also we have some prominent elected officials that will be speaking there um, uh, representative Lauren Boebert from Colorado. She's, uh, in the news a lot. She's a big, you know, uh, star at CPAC and all that stuff. She's a member of the House Freedom Caucus, but that's not why she's speaking. there. She's speaking there because before she got into politics and before I guess she owned a bar in Colorado, she and her family have been involved in the energy industry, uh, out West for a long time. And in fact, her husband still works in the energy industry. So we wanted her to come out there to talk about, uh, you know, how Biden's policies are going to hurt the the energy industry, not just in the West, but uh, of course, all over America. And there is also a prominent senator from here in the Midwest. I won't say his name this week because we're very close to uh, solidifying him as another keynote speaker, but a very prominent Republican Senator from the Midwest. Let's just leave it there. Uh, who will also be speaking at the conference. 98% certain about that. Maybe 97% is the number to use, (laughs) Uh, but it's, it's, this really, really is one of the best programs we've ever had. We've done, as I said, 15 of these. So if you have not yet gotten your tickets, there's still plenty of time. It's February 23rd through the 25th in Orlando, Florida. So you can get all your information at heartland.org. And we hope to see you there. And if you cannot make it in person, and I urge you to do so, we'll be live streaming every second of the, uh, of the conference uh on our heartland youtube channel so check that out i'm, I'm gonna a guess the, uh, at who there are oh yeah, yeah Justin, I want to guess you got a guess too okay is
2: it yeah who you want to go first
0: yeah I think it's Mike Gravel
2: Mike Gravel I is it Dick Durbin
3: <laughs> should <laughs> I blink? Blamey Duckworth <laughs> what, what is it is it blink it's Lori one? Lightfoot it's Lori Lightfoot <laughs> it's just it time Senator, for her Chris. for her reelection oh well I wasn't paying attention to that. It's Dennis before. Kucinich, I'm pretty sure it's Dennis <laughs> Kucinich.
1: <laughs> so, so it's blink one for yes and two for no, right? Is that how this works in a hostage video? That's right. Yeah, that's I think right. so. All right. It, uh, I mean,
2: Tammy Duckworth wouldn't be the worst. You could have her get up on stage and everyone could throw tomatoes and cabbage at her or something. That'd be yeah. fun.
0: So wow. we, have, we have a lot to talk about on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, let's move so on. Let's let's move on. So, like I mentioned, the World Economic Forum uh, conference in Davos ended. We covered aspects of this last week, and if you missed last week, you should definitely check it out. Uh, one of my main takeaways uh, from last week was that the conference was relatively uneventful. And I don't know if this episode that we're gonna do now uh, will undo that takeaway from last uh, last week or it's gonna support it. I'm not sure. I guess we'll find out together. So last week we covered a, a couple of different things, a couple of different aspects of the conference. one being Brian Brian Moynihan, CEO of Bank of America, blatantly with no interpretation required explaining how esg can serve as a social credit scores for companies determining which businesses are allowed to thrive and which ones must be cut off he also explained the need for a global set of esg standards that would be applied to every company around the world and uh you know this isn't some academic from some globalist think tank or some University of Berkeley professor or something like that saying these things. It's the CEO of Bank of America laying all this out flat, just just straight up, no interpretation, like I said. So again, it's not a conspiracy. We covered this last week. It's not a conspiracy to listen to these people and believe what they're saying. So we talked about this last week. Uh, It was uh, was kind of a bigger item that we talked about last week. So if you want to see that a little bit more in depth, make sure to go back and check out last week. And then uh, Justin and I, the next thing I want to talk about is, is something that we did not cover last week. And Justin and I did a recent video on Stopping Socialism TV covering covering this. So if you watch that, bear with us a bit. But one of the videos that was going around in Davos uh, you know, last week in regards to Davos was Al Gore ginning up as much righteous anger as he could possibly come up with and ranting about the impending climate crisis Uh, I don't think we have that video ready, but you've probably seen it. Al Gore talking about the thousands of atomic bombs, the equivalent of thousands of atomic bombs that are going off in the ocean every day. And that's driving the oceans to boil and billions of refugees, creating the droughts
4: and melting the ice and raising the sea level and causing these waves of climate refugees predicted to reach 1 billion in this century. Look at the xenophobia and political authoritarian trends that have come from just a few million refugees. What about a billion? We would lose our capacity for self governance on this world we have so, to act so in answer to your question i would say we have to have a sense of urgency much greater than we have yet had
0: and we need have had and we need to make some changes
3: uh, but, almost he nailed believe, the landing. but he doesn't believe in self-governance <laughs> almost
1: That's almost took the landing there and that yeah, was the, the irony of people at WWF worrying about self-governance is really yeah. pretty thick, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. that weirdo needs to calm the hell down. I mean, he's going to give himself a freaking heart attack.
0: Yeah, well, I think the first part, you know, where I was doing my impression lined up pretty well with that. I, I don't think the audio only listeners could tell where we separated that. Yeah, well, it so. seems like Al Gore was just trying to keep up with his peers on the panel because during this panel titled leading the charge through Earth's new normal, Al Gore sent Samp- sat between two other panelists, uh, one sporting an awesome hat. <laughs> and I was talking about how humanity has to take notes from Native American cultures and live in harmony with nature and be one with Gaia and et cetera, et cetera. Use every piece of the buffalo and all that type of stuff. But but I don't the... kill
2: buffaloes anymore, Donnie. <laughs>
0: Good point. <laughs> but the guy that sat stage right of Gore and Andy, you're going to want to pull this clip up in a second here. Uh, is a whole nother story to so the, yes, the next clip we're, we're gonna do play another. don't um, play yet hang on a minute that uh is and we is need to have had and we need to what is going on stop the hammering back there. <laughs> uh so this next clip we're gonna play is <laughs> gustavo petro he is the president of Colombia, and he's considered to be the most far left person to ever be president of Colombia, the the exact type of person you need on your Davos conference talking about uh, leading the world through the new normal. So this is what he had to say about the economic system of the world. Go ahead and play that clip. And almost the only source of energy to include I'm gonna pause it for one second, just because he is uh, being uh, interpreted. So what you were listening to is an interpreter over him actually talking.
4: His profit is carbon, oil and gas, coal oil and gas. And this has resulted in a change in our atmosphere. We have to put an end to this if we wish to live on our planet. Can our capitalism do this? Based on the current data, we won't be able to do so. Therefore, perhaps we should do the following reflection. If capitalism is unable to do so, either humanity will die with it or humanity will overcome capitalism so that we can live in our planet. And let me go to another point You know what? Let's just go ahead and
0: stop it right there, because I think that's the most important quote of his of his whole segment, that we're either going to die with capitalism or we're going to grow beyond capitalism. So, Justin, you were the one that brought this clip to my attention. Al Gore is in his righteous anger that got all the attention on you on uh, like Twitter and YouTube and all of that. But the guy that literally spoke right after him is talking about how we're going to either die with capitalism or move beyond it. Thoughts?
2: Yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty incredible. And actually, the clip is there's no reason to play the the clip longer uh, than this because if there if people are interested, they can go watch the the video that you and I did just recently on this. But because um, we play more of what he says, but we didn't even play all of what he says. Uh, but essentially, it's very very clear what this guy's position is. Uh, he he is. Uh, do we do we want to talk about his background? Are we saving that? Oh yeah, no
0: no, go ahead. Okay.
2: So he, he's the, the current president of Columbia, newly elected, 2022. Um, he had ran for president a bunch of times before and had always lost. So it was a big deal. Normally, the drug cartels pick the presidents of Columbia. I think that's how that works. And this time it was a man, of the good old fashioned man of the people. Um, the interesting thing about this fellow, however, is that he's not just your run of the mill, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders from Burlington, Vermont type uh, leftist. He's uh a former guerrilla fighter um from a group called m19 which has committed uh horrible terrible what was the what was the exact quote from the article that we read in that from the hill yeah, it was, it like, was uh, uh
0: like terrible violent acts against innocent terrible civilians
2: violent acts <laughs> against innocent civilians so that's good um he's a marxist uh so that's fun Um, And he's now up on stage at the World Economic Forum saying that we either have to overthrow capitalism or we will all die. Interestingly, right after this, he says something like he kind of almost pulls back and is like, well, you know, maybe we can have capitalism, uh, but just a decarbonized version of capitalism. But then immediately after talking about a decarbonized version of capitalism, which I guess you would assume is capitalism, but without Uh, carbon dioxide, which I don't really know how that works because that would mean there's no people or animals or plants or anything either. But anyway, uh, after that, he then goes back into the crazy stuff and starts essentially explaining that what he means by that is, you know, there's basically no free market and, and we have to rethink our entire way of life and rethink all of our political institutions and rewrite the social contract. I don't know if he uses <sighs> yeah. that exact word, but that's what the yeah, WF one, loves to say. He's one
0: step away from saying we need to reset, you know, the Yeah, <laughs> I, he's
2: basically saying we need a great reset without using those words. So the, the thing that I love about this is that, you know, this is as radical of a person as you could possibly find. I mean, you can't find anybody really more radical than this. I mean, he was part of a, a basically a terrorist organization, as far as I could tell. He was a former Marxist guerrilla fighter. I mean, I don't know how you can get much more radical than that. And you've got him with Al Gore, a total nut job, next to an even greater total nut job with the hat, <laughs> the woman with the hat. And so we've got these three lunatics all up on the stage at the World Economic Forum trying to outdo each other. Yeah, exactly. To, 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 you know, be crowned king of the lunatics. Um, And we're told that any sort of criticism that we say about the World Economic Forum Anything that's really sort of an extreme criticism, like, I don't know, they want to reset the global economy or they want to rewrite social contracts or they want to control every aspect of your life. And, you know, that there's a conspiracy here, not a conspiracy theory, but a conspiracy fact. We're told that this is all lunacy and that we're just a bunch of crazy people for pointing this out. But how can anyone argue with what we're seeing right here on the stage this is a guy saying if we don't overthrow capital overcome capitalism or overthrow it or whatever he said we're gonna die with capitalism I don't know how you can get more extreme than that really so I I mean this is this is proof if you ever needed to show anybody in a really short clip okay the World Economic Forum is not this mainstream organization. They're they're radicals. This is all you got to do is show Al Gore, the crazy hat lady, and then <laughs> the gorilla, the the Marxist guerrilla fighter turned president. Show these three people, and you can prove yeah. within five on minutes the, that this is not this is this is a crazy group of people. Right. not on the main a stage, mainstream group.
0: It's not it's not John Kerry that we showed last week, like in some back room where he's got five people in right. the audience. This is a main stage presentation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, this is the people, this is the type of people that they invite to Davos. These are the types of sentiments that are expressed at Davos. Uh, Chris, you've been kind of keeping an eye on, on some of the events going on. What are, what are your takeaways from this clip that we just watched?
3: One of my first takeaways is, um, it just says Gore. So I guess El Gore now is Madonna. He can just go by a single <laughs> name. So that was, that was my first takeaway. Um, but yeah, you know, just, I mean, Justin, you know, Already uh, covered most of this. Everything that they're saying is hyperbolic. Everything they're saying is meant to instill, you know, crazy fear mongering and scaremongering and, you know, just give them power. And yet they do it to say that this is in order to save self governance. But like we just said earlier, it doesn't seem like they really believe much in self governance. And they've got a terrorist, you know, who just took over Colombia and, you know, Latin America and South American generals going through some, uh, some pretty, pretty big, uh, you know, political, uh, consequences right now with, uh, you know, Bolsonaro leaving and, you know, you've got a lot of Marxism seeping into South America. So it just seems like the world economic forum seems extremely excited about that. And they are, you know, more than happy to put these, you know, just complete lunatics on stage to sit there and just spew lies and lies and lies and try to, as always scare us into giving them more power and money. Jim,
0: uh, you you I think you actually watched the video that Justin and I did. Do you have any uh, further further takeaways on this on this segment?
1: Yeah, I did watch your I did watch your video. Uh, that was just I think yesterday or two days ago. It's right here on the Stopping Socialism TV channel. You can find it uh, very easily uh, under latest videos. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to say about this. Actually, uh, I don't want to go on and on. I want to take on the hat lady though for a minute. Although I did <laughs> not hear her speak. Uh, you can tell just by looking at her, not that lady. Not, not Mayor Beetlejuice, but the, uh, yeah, the hat lady. Uh, you know, let's get into with nature. These hippies are all over the place at WEF. And, uh, you know, so this, this idea that you want to get back in touch with nature and, when, you know, nature is sacred and all this stuff. Alex Epstein, who's going to be speaking at our climate conference in about 30 days, February 23rd to the 25th. He points out often and very well that nature is trying to kill you at all times. Uh, humans for most of our existence have been trying to avoid being killed by nature. Uh, And it's only the modern society that we have now that we can even pretend to quote unquote control nature, but we can at least keep nature at bay so that we are alive so that we can live in homes and shelters that are continually warm. Um, And, and we, and that this, the climate talks at WEF are all about rolling all of that stuff back. And so this, this new leader of Colombia, I mean, when you say this is the most left-wing leader in the history of a South American country, that's really saying something because that continent is full of Marxist nut jobs. I mean, I guess,
2: right.
1: I, I guess if uh, a vehicle of Marxist crazy people, then this guy might be the Le- LeBron. I don't know. You know, it's it's probably a close second. But but this idea that we have to rethink capitalism, and you know, this this idea that capitalism actually is to blame for boiling the planet. And you can see the graphic behind them. I mean, it's just so, it's all propaganda and it's it's scaremongering. The idea that the, that the earth is burning up, it's ridiculous. We actually, global temperatures are actually flat for the last eight years, by the way. Another fact that you'll learn at our climate conference. But even putting that aside, capitalism is what leads to a cleaner planet. Capitalism is what leads to healthy countries. Prosperous countries, countries that have freedom, clean up the environment. It is Marxist hellholes. That are the worst places on earth, whether you're a human or an animal, because uh, they are they are never cleaned up. They are inefficient, they are oppressive, and they are miserable. So this is a, and what a surprise! The WEF's agenda is not to go into something that is actually progressive, which is capitalism, but something that is regressive and allows greater control of the people, like you have in these Marxist countries, because a miserable, poor people are easy to control. A prosperous, free people are very difficult to control. Yeah, we've got. To- different stuff
0: on stopping talking about some of these world economic forum uh, takeaways and all of that we're going to try to address as many things as possible on this podcast but there's just there's like 300 panels over the course of like the seven days that they were doing this conference so it's like even though we're doing two episodes on this topic two weeks in a row we're not going to cover everything so among the other heavily discussed uh, uh, things at Davos were the concepts of Artificial intelligence and smart cities. And if you're not aware, Davos is not just a, a place where people go to express their concerns over mm-hmm. climate change and inequality and, and capitalism. No, there is a strong tinge of futurism and groundbreaking technology type things that are discussed at these conferences. The head of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, is a futurist. He wrote a book titled The Fourth Industrial Revolution that talks about all the potentially disruptive technology that's coming down the pike. Uh, In fact, the World Economic Forum, along with hosting Davos, also hosts the Global Technology Governance Summit, which goes into more depth about some of the coming technological advancements. And we'll get into some of those items soon. There's there's one video in particular that Jim found that is unbelievable, but we'll talk about that. Before we get to that shocking video, let's talk about smart cities. So the World Economic Forum's concept of smart cities is admittedly a bit broad. Some articles that you find on their website, they just talk about incorporating technology to make sure lights are more efficiently used uh in cities you know the the street lights will be equipped with little sensors that can tell if people are nearby so if there's no one nearby it dims if there's someone walking by it'll you get brighter or something like that other articles about info tracking sensors to enhance public safety but there's other articles and other papers from the world economic forum that talk about comprehensive smart cities that track everyone and everything that happens uh, throughout the city for efficiency, energy rationing, and safety reasons. Like we're talking minority report level stuff. I, I'm not even joking. In fact, the World Economic Forum started a Global Smart Alliance uh, partnership, which partners with, quote, more than 200,000 cities and local governments, companies, startups, research institutions, and nonprofit organizations. This alliance, uh, end quote. This alliance also has 36 pioneer cities, which are taking the first steps to achieve some of the goals touted by the World Economic Forum. Some of these cities includes one you'll, ones you'll recognize, include uh, including Dallas, Texas, San Jose, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Jim. That is one of these pioneer cities of the World Economic Forum's Global Smart Alliance. The world economic forum also published articles talking about 15 minute cities where everything a resident needs is within 15 minute walk from their residence. The point of this is to foster a community where cars aren't necessary and everyone can live happily in very densely populated living centers. These are all things that are stated very plainly on their website. Andy's got some of it pulled up right now. If you're watching the video version of the show. Um, So Jim, you did send me one video uh, that I want to get to that kind of encapsulates all of this stuff in the most extreme way possible. But before we hit play on that video, do you have any comments on what I've said so far?
1: Do you mean the video, the line, that one? I do. I do. yes. Yes. Yeah. The only thing I have to say about that is like, you know, this is all conspiracy theory. Uh, Donnie, I don't know why you just keep talking about things that aren't true. Um, yeah, sure they're written on the website, but that doesn't mean anything. Right. Uh, sure they say these things out loud, but you know, but you know whatever. But you know it's just, it's a fun exercise. Let's just have a good time.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, let's play this clip. That this is a clip that I did not create myself. Uh, I did not. Uh, I did not deep fake any of this stuff into the <laughs> supposed conference that's going on in Davos. This is an actual clip. And it's titled "The Line." So let's go ahead and play this, Andy, and maybe oh, I'll throw some commentary. The, the over it principle of the line,
5: which is really the how uh, the, the revolution in urban design that Neom is pioneering, and we can talk a little bit more about that as we go through the rest of the uh, rest of the panel in the session. So, so when I'm looking on- at this it's a grid infrastructure. Yeah. So basically, the way it works is it's 170 kilometers long. 200 meters wide, 500 meters high. Um, the height is from the sea level, so as you go inwards and the topography actually goes up, then the height of the actual building structure reduces until you get to the, uh, to the mountains where it actually, you no longer have a mirror line. Mm. Um, the idea is about what we call a zero gravity uh, urbanism, which is not necessarily having to be linked and anchored to a ground, How can we think of cities that go vertical and not only horizontal? Um, Has many benefits. It's five minutes walk from all of your needs. Um, Each module is 800 meters wide and each model will take uh, 80,000 people on average. Obviously some are gonna be densely populated than others. And this way you're, you're only five minutes walk away from your school, your hospital, um supermarket the other thing is that the catchment area becomes a lot lot bigger
0: (laughs) video going we can keep the video going but uh for those people that are only listening to the audio of this and not seeing the visual of it you've got to check out the video if you haven't already it's basically just one giant long continuous skyscraper that inside of it is all everything so like at the beginning of the at the beginning of the video, they show this big sprawling city and all of the things that are incorporated throughout this big city can just be condensed in this one giant long skyscraper thing so that we're not just sprawled across the countryside and we're not uh, exploiting Earth as much as, uh, you know, that that we, you know, that we have been. We could all just live nice and compact inside this little cube where everything that you would ever need is within a five minute walk. So, uh, yeah, I mean, again, this is the stuff that they talk about at these at these conferences. (laughs) We're not this. It's not a conspiracy. We're not reading between the lines. We didn't make this up. We're just reporting on what they're talking about. Uh, Justin, you you and I have done some work on the smart city stuff. Uh, I think that this example of it is the most extreme one that I can find. What are your thoughts on this?
2: Yeah, this is this is definitely the most extreme one. And and the odds that you'll have this happen, you know, in some place you might have it happen in maybe some place in America or something like that, but the idea that this is going to, you know, take off in America is probably not highly likely given just people in America being used to having their own space and land and stuff like that. However, I think uh in other parts of the world, uh it is likely where they where they have less property rights and you have more authoritarian governments and things like that. I don't know why you wouldn't do that. I mean, why wouldn't you do this in a country where the government is in charge of everything? I'm, I'm not really sure. It seems like a lot of great benefits. He's so easy to control people and it wouldn't take up so much land and blah, 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 right? So there's a lot of things there. But what I do think in the long run, and I'm talking about really far into the future, where I do think Americans need to be thinking of these things as legitimate possibilities for maybe their kids or their grandkids or something like that, is that there is a, there is an effort going on in the United States right now for uh, both government and private institutions to amass increasingly more amounts of land themselves. Uh, the Biden administration. Um, a year or two ago, announced its 30 by 30 plan, a plan to conserve 30% of the land and water in the United States so that it's not being used by humans. Um, And that includes some privately owned land that can opt into this 30 by 30 program and and agree to only use it for certain purposes and in certain ways and all of that. Uh, there is globally a 30 by 30 plan now that's wrapped up in all the stuff that's going on with Davos. So they want to do this all over the world. And the buildup to that, when you actually read the, uh, the fine print, the buildup to that is actually they want a 50 by 50 plan, a lot of people. So 50% of the land, and waters conserved by 2050. And so you can see what, the trajectory of where this w- is all going, right? I wonder I mean, what it'll be by, by
0: 2100. I wonder what yeah, the percentage. Well,
2: ex- exactly. And, and the thing is 50 by 50 isn't just, you're not looking at it and you're saying, oh, okay, so it's going to be like the way it is now, except you're going to have uh, a lot more land conserved, three or four times more land conserved than what we have right now. It's like, yeah, that plus there's going to be billions of more people, additional people, right? So you have billions of additional people, plus you have three or four times the amount of land conserved and water. Well, what is that going to do to people's options for living and the price of property and the price of owning your own home and your ability to get a mortgage for that and afford it? I mean, all of these things are going to be extremely problematic going forward into the future. And it's not, What's really strange about this is that these many of these people are the same people who for a very long time talked about this population boom and we have this this danger of of overpopulation that's coming our way, right? And one of the big fears of overpopulation is the more people we have, we're going to have uh, you know, fewer fewer resources, uh, less space, less land available and all of this. But those same people are now simultaneously saying, oh, I'm really worried about population growing out of control and let's try to conserve as much land as we possibly can. Well, it seems to me that if you're doing both of those things at the same time, you're exacerbating the problem that you say you care about a lot. We should be actually freeing up conserved land if you're worried that there's gonna be some population boom and there's gonna be a a space issue and all of that. Now, I'm not worried about that. I, I think people figure these things out over time. But what, what I, I do think that it is important for people to understand that this is the vision that the leading people in government, in corporations, in banks, in central banks, in, uh, in, in Wall Street, this is what they imagine the future to look like. Okay, And that matters because they're the ones that are controlling most of the capital. So you have to take that into yeah. account. Um it's justin, is, don't worry, it is a problem.
0: It, it, there there's a cubby hole with your name on it, uh sure in the top is. portion of one of those quadrants of the line, <laughs> I'm sure. I think uh, I'm gonna
2: be I think I think in the whole like line, you know, video, I'm probably gonna be the guy who's like camped out on uh the mountainside over away from the you know, staring out longingly at the glass line, wishing that I had a spot in there, but Unfortunately, was thrown out for yeah, you, you saying weren't things allowed. that your you social credit score was too <laughs> yeah. low. Yeah, it
1: it, it's a sense. job. It's a jobs creation program for um, for dead bird collections. You know, yeah, right? yeah. And, they, and they fly into those mirrors, right? Well, well, Jim, I mean, <laughs> like we can look at that video and we can scoff at it,
0: like, oh, that's crazy. You know, maybe it'll be a million years before they can accomplish something like that. But like, these are the things that they're like thinking about and talking about and striving for. These are their goals. Like, doesn't yeah. that tell you what you need to know about these? these groups
1: well it does and like you know there's that 15 minute city uh plan that they have there's all these plans everybody's got plans you know they don't care about your plans or my plans but they have plans and you'll be made to care about their plans as a matter of fact but this whole idea that's like and he even says it's a five minute walk for all your needs wow that is so great i had no idea that these planners knew all of my needs And they can put them all at my fingertips within a five-minute walk. Isn't that nice? It's as if these people have never lived in an apartment building before. Um, If you've lived in an apartment building, you know that without, you know, a lot of social pressure or unless you're paying a lot of money, they turn into slums very quickly. Um, So this whole idea, I mean, it is like something for the future. If you've seen the... um, uh, if anyone has seen the sci-fi show The Expanse, that's what this reminded me of the, the the kind of places people lived in the in the show The Expanse were very much like this. you know, they were in space, but you know, it was very much you know built vertically, everybody in tight quarters. But if this was such a good idea, um, and actually it also reminded me of there was they, they, they built this very exclusive like neighborhood, I guess you could call it, but almost like mini city in Dubai, they they created islands that look like a big palm tree. and that is the place where the elite of the elite can live. Uh, and it's usually just a vacation home for the really, really super rich people. Um, if this was so great, they would build it for themselves. They're not building the line for themselves. They're building it for you and for and for me to put us there. If it was so great, the market would take care of it because they would build it, and people would there'd be a waiting list. People would be dying to get into that place. But that's not how this would actually work out. And, uh, you know, by the way, they do say they're going to have it, um I think the first module done by either like 2035 or even 2040. So not that far away. It could even be earlier than that. It could be 2030. Yeah, 30. I thought it was like 2027 20, or something. Uh, there you go. Yeah, he said he said it in the in the end of the video, which we cut off. So I, I didn't get to hear it and remind myself. But but again, if this was so great, they'd build it for themselves. Um, But they're not building it for themselves. Uh, and they want people... Can, again, this is all about control. You can control people that are in a place like that. Um, And, you know, the, the, I guess the good news, the thing that makes me think, you know, this isn't going to happen. It's certainly not going to be built for me. Um, I'm going to be dead by the time this thing ever gets going, I think. I would hope. But, um, you know, these these planners, and they're all on the left. They're all socialists. They all have these great grand plans for humanity. Um, and, they, and they don't actually get people to choose them freely. It's always you have to force people into this utopia that they have dreaming. It's like, just, you have to do this. We have to do this. Uh, this is what's best. Just trust us. Or don't even trust us. You're just going in there. We're making you do it. But, you know, these Marxists have had grand plans for reorganizing society um, for years, for at least 100 years. If you just want to go to the Bolsheviks, the Marxists, right? So maybe 150, almost 200 years. They always have these grand plans on how they're going to reorganize humanity in the best way possible. And they always fail, Um, you know. The bad news on that is that when it is actually tried and forced upon people, hundreds of millions of people end up dead. So right. <laughs> that's the that's the bad side of it. But for the most part, these dreams never come to fruition because it's just not practicable um, and they don't really have the strong arm, the the muscle, to be yeah. honest, to force it upon a populace.
0: Well, you know, so so Chris, uh, obviously this line thing is uh, is pie in the sky by any metric. I mean, they, they I think their their uh, original plan is to create this in Saudi Arabia or something like that, and I guess the intention if it works so well there, then maybe other places will do it. Who knows? But I do know that they are actively working on this concept called smart cities that I already talked about, and like I said, all these different pioneer cities throughout the country, throughout the world, are already uh, installing certain aspects of this into their uh, into their cities. Yeah, I mentioned Dallas, San Jose, and all of that. So, I mean, w- what do you think about when it's just like it's just maybe maybe that pie in the sky idea is far off? But they're already starting to get the toehold in in cities across the United States.
3: I think it's important to note that uh, a lot of this originated in the Middle East, where you know kings still rule and people are you know ruled under an iron fist. Because I think that a lot of these um, proposals are uh, are convenient for these you know uh, autocratic rulers to keep you know their people in check and in control. Um, I think that this would probably not fly uh, in its current form in any American city. However, I see the, uh, the, uh, desire from a, a lot of, uh, democratic mayors, because we know that most, uh, major cities in the United States are run by the democratic party and they, they of course want to have further control over their, you know, their people. So I think, I think it's very doubtful that we would get something, you know, resembling the actual line as the uh, world economic forum, uh, you know, put out there in the United States in the foreseeable future. However, I do think we'll see this crop up in uh, places where authoritarian rulers are willing to experiment uh, Mm -hmm. and they have the ability to experiment because their people have no choice. I would love to see this happen in the United States where they start telling people, okay, you are going to leave your house and you're going to go live in this little area that we have designed for you. Like Jim said, and we have everything you'll ever need there five minutes away, which is just preposterous on its face. Um, but I, I think that there would be a huge backlash to that in the United States. So I think that they are wise enough to not push it that far yet in the United States. However, I completely agree with you, Donnie, that a lot of cities, including Chicago, are becoming more and more, uh, you know, surveillant and more and more, uh, you know, uh, unwilling to let people uh, live their lives as they you know, wish to because they yeah. need to exert maximum control. Over the people, and I also think this has a lot to do uh, with uh, controlling what the people do, what they use, and you know what what kind of uh, resources they have at their disposal. Because if you put everyone in a very confined space and you tell them, okay, this is it, this is all you've got. Uh, Their ability to uh, ration is going to be so much easier than it is right now over a great expanse, especially in uh, suburban America, which uh, the Democratic Party has been against for a very long time. They do not like suburbs. They do not like people living out, you know, far away from uh, their population centers where where freedom is much more robust.
0: Yeah, a lot of the um, kind of baseline justifications for any of this stuff uh, from the b- bottom all the way to the line is climate change reasons, energy efficiency and all of that. So that's where you'll start seeing some of these things in these pioneer cities that that have to do with making sure that people aren't wasting energy, whether it's smart grid type stuff or you know, the different thermostats, smart thermostats that you'll have in your houses, and they'll make sure that you have to have them and all of that. And Justin and I, we did some research and we found one thing that was literally talked about in the World Economic Forum. I might have brought it up on this podcast before, but it was basically sensors throughout the, the sewer systems to monitor... the the amount of wastewater that was in the sewer systems. And if it got too high, then they would send out a text message to all the constituents in the area telling them not to flush the toilets. (laughs) So it's like, that's an aspect of smart cities that are going to be coming your way. Make sure you don't overflow with the sewer system and they tell you when you get to use the bathroom.
3: (laughs) But, you you know, Donnie, uh, the the World Economic Forum's video shows this as a pristine, you know, lovely place to live and everyone's, you know, living in harmony. However, I am willing to bet that it will be nothing like that I bet it would be much more likely to resemble a dystopian, you know, future movie where you've got all these people huddled in these cramped, disgusting tenement quarters. Yeah, it'll be like San just, just literally trying to, you know, like, 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 uh, you know, eat, 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 eat a rat that's, you know, scurrying, you know, in the corner. So Chris and, has been and, watching
0: Terminator one recently.
3: I've been watching a lot of that <laughs> stuff lately. But um, uh, Don, just one, one more quick thing on this. Uh, within urban centers, you know, in the 1960s in particular, they started building a lot of these public housing, you know, Cabrini Green here in Chicago. What happened to them in in the span of you know years? They became crime ridden poverty-written dumps. And what happened to them 40, 50 years later? They completely demolished them and said, Well, now we got to start over again. Hmm. So I do not want to give them even more of the ability to, you know, hoard people in these. Places that they design where everything will be taken care of and everything's going to be great and just trust us. No, right. thank you. Yeah, no. Yeah,
2: doubt. just real quick, adding to that, there was a. I took a property law mm-hmm. class many years ago, and in the property law class, they specifically talked about the development of projects like public housing projects and how that worked itself out. And one of the most fascinating parts of it was. They showing the plans like the original plans for the housing projects from the, say, the 50s, 60s, that era that Chris was just talking about and what they imagined these places were going to be like. And Mm. it's very, very similar to what we're seeing in these WF videos. It was like these utopian little societies with these green areas all over and parks would be all over the place and things would just be so uh, harmonious and wonderful and everyone could get to their jobs and get to their uh, various, uh, uh, you know, uh, utilities and other things in a very quick and easy walk away. Cause people didn't need to have cars and think about how much, how great this would be. And then it turned, they, they turned into hell holes. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it, it, it does seem eerily similar to that. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. And I don't think the parallels
0: can be uh, understated.
1: So this this would end up being the fire festival of living arrangements. uh, (laughs) Well, the seven people that know what that is about.
0: I mean, this seems absolutely bizarre, and like I said, pie in the sky type of stuff. It is the stuff that they are talking about, but I've got even crazier things for for you to consider so uh when davos happens a lot of people share clips from past davos events or other world economic forum related events and it kind of gets confusing of of who said what when and where and i think the next clip is an example of that but in the context of everything we're talking about i think it still really fits the next clip does not come from the latest davos conference it comes from a conference that happened like a year and a half ago called the global Technology Governance Summit, and it, this this clip features Amy Webb, who is a professor from the New York University Stern School of Business, and she talks about two very different concepts in this video. And I think we should take um, one of them uh, one at a time. So, Andy, let's let's play this clip. Uh, it's it's the one that looks like it says "What Now." Let's go ahead and start playing that one, and I'll tell you when to stop. So it's talking about gene editing. There's text that's up here talking about, uh, you know, different ways to protect public health. Speaking, we're talking
1: about improving biology and redesigning organisms for beneficial purposes. It's going to allow us to not just edit genomes,
2: but also, uh, and importantly, write a new code for life. We'll have right level permissions. (laughs) We'll have right -level level permissions. We already started to see some of that this year. COVID nineteen vaccines—they make use of engineered code in the form of messenger RNA. All
0: right, so I'm going to hit pause on there because there's another thing that she talks about. But uh, yeah, I mean, we've we've had Ed Hudgens on here talking about CRISPR and the idea of trying to you know meddle with the human genome to to ensure that we you know are, are born healthy and and we can get rid of certain diseases and all of that. But what she was talking about there is meddling with our our DNA, uh, geoengineering organisms, and, and unlocking a right level permissions when it comes to like life on Earth. And, and that is like a like technical jargon that basically is like, you know, you can give certain permissions for somebody to have access on a website where they can post something. Or you can give them permission where they can rewrite what the website looks like. She is talking about that, but in the context of meddling with our own genetics and the organisms that, that are the basis of life. So, Jim, you sent this to me. And uh, I just I can't look at this without thinking like I. This might be a little bit too dangerous to experiment with. <laughs> what are your thoughts, Jim?
1: Well, I mean, the, the worrisome thing here is just the casual confidence and the arrogance of saying things like this. I mean, God complex much. I mean, right. good grief. You know, right-level permissions, as you said, it's like, you know, we're human beings, we're not the back end of a WordPress blog. I mean, <laughs> this is serious stuff. It's like these people have never watched Jurassic Park or something. Um, you know, and But the idea that, you know, right-level permissions, permissions is an important word there. Will they really ask you for your permission? I mean, will that permission be granted freely by people? Or will this be another case of, you know, an an experimental medical treatment being compelled with refusal, meaning you lose your job or your ability to travel or your place in the line to place to live or participate in your normal life, you know? So this whole idea of like permissions, it's like, how do you give uh, informed consent for the rewriting of your, of your genetic code. But, you know, it's just this idea that this arrogance, like, of course, of course we'll be rewriting your DNA to improve you, to make you better. God, it's like, it's like some of the most dystopian uh, science fiction is actually pretty good watching, but it just, it just boggles my mind that this dystopian fiction is becoming more and more a part of our life because it's not a conspiracy theory when they say it on video, (laughs) that this is what they would like to do it's 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 horrifying horrifying
0: yeah no doubt uh uh, chris justin i've got another uh part of her clip that that is probably not as like the the implications probably aren't as dire as this but it's equally as crazy do you want to take first swing at the next thing or do you have any comments on on that whole idea of gene editing and everything
3: just a quick comment on the gene editing thing. So, Donnie, you know that uh, both of us have been reading a lot of Yuval Noel Harari and his book Homo Deus and uh, Sapiens, and he goes into this very, very in-depth. And one of the things that uh, he doesn't bring up is, wouldn't this increase inequality massively? Because the wealthy people, the and he calls them the superhumans, they would have unfettered access to this. They would have the money and you know the uh, connections and relationships with you know people to do this. However, you know, the vast majority of, you know, us commoners, we would not have this. So I think, you know, this is this is not my main like argument against it by any means. But it just it just goes to show, you know, that these people are utter hypocrites time and time again, because they always are obsessing about inequality and DEI and all this stuff. But this is just going to exacerbate that way more because only a very, very select few people are going to have the ability to actually do this and it is just going to widen that you know that gulf. Uh Justin, you want to take first
0: swing at the next thing or do you have any Well, just comments? just
2: real quick on that point that Chris made um and then we can move on. I um I I don't know about Yuval Harari. I haven't read everything that he that he's ever written. He's written a lot and there could be something somewhere in something he's written or said cuz he speaks a lot as well that addresses that issue, but I know for sure that Klaus Schwab addresses that issue specifically. And he he says that this is actually one of the reasons why we need a stakeholder capitalism ESG type economy in the future, because you're going to have technologies like gene editing that are only going to be available under normal supply and demand to to wealthier people. So how can we make sure that we have equity and fairness and Mm -hmm. social justice and equality of outcomes and all of that built into our gene editing of the future. As bizarre as that is to say, that's actually one of his big concerns. So he's got a plan for that, Chris. He's got a plan. You You don't have to worry. In the future, Klaus Schwab will make sure that everyone who he believes should have gene editing has the gene editing that they need. You don't have to worry.
0: Yeah, Justin, you know what's funny is uh, I, I wasn't going to bring it up in this podcast. I always trust Claude Shaw, by the way.
2: I know you do. That's why I'm trying to I'm trying to get your heart at ease.
0: Here. I'll sleep it's well tonight, right. don't worry. But <laughs> yeah. but all of these different things, Jim, you're muted. All of these different things you could find articles on the World Economic Forum talking about these things and the need to to install an ethical and moral code yes. into the basis of these things, which you know, Justin and I we know that what that means. That means installing the things that are present in ESG and making sure that, you know, all of those things that are taken care of are also taken care of when we're building the line and when we're gene editing and the next thing that we're going to talk about well Uh, the
1: the good thing is though you know it will actually be klaus schwab uh bringing this all about it'll either be klaus schwab's head in a jar or his consciousness (laughs) uploaded to a computer uh maybe a
0: combination of both Uh, i'm not sure which one's scarier all right let's finish this uh this video this is amy webb continuing to talk about some of the uh different technological advancements we can look forward to as a society go ahead
2: On the horizon are diminished reality glasses that look very much like what I'm wearing um, that would allow you to remove things from your point of view, from your view, whether that's garbage uh, or other
0: people. All right. So I know what virtual reality glasses are. Where you put on these glasses, you're in a totally virtual world playing a game or something like that. I know what augmented reality glasses are. That's when something is superimposed over your vision of the actual world to enhance it in one degree or another. I have never until yesterday heard about diminished reality glasses where she basically says she said no, not basically. She directly says at the end that you could put these on and make it obscure garbage or other people from your vision.
3: So I is, just wonder, you know, like like is Chris, he quitting know. garbage with people first of all? Because <laughs> I know they have a very low opinion of people. Yeah, right. She's like, I'm doing this.
0: uh, I'm doing this presentation in front of an empty audience because all of you are garbage to me and I can't see (laughs) you. But uh, but yeah, so like when you're walking through the line and it's uh, looks like it's reminiscent of a San Francisco street with with uh, piles of uh, human feces all over the place. You just won't see them. They'll just be blurred from your existence. So it seems like you're living in utopia, a diminished reality where the real reality is some dystopian future. This is the most bizarre. When Jim sent this clip, And I think he sent it with a description talking about diminished reality glasses. I thought that that was just like his like conservative snark, you know, not calling it what it actually is and coming up with his own commentary. That's what they called it. Diminished reality glasses. Unbelievable. Who wants to take first swing?
2: Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I, I, uh, because, you know, Donnie and I have been working on this for a while now. I also have never heard of that. Right. Um. So it's very interesting. I've I've never heard of that. I mean, it it, it kind of I guess it makes some sense within their worldview of of some of the stuff they've talked about with augmented reality glasses. It's it's just sort of a different version of that. I don't right. really understand how that would work necessarily with track. You kind of have to see the things around you in order to like walk down the street or just do anything at all. So I don't really understand that. But one of the things that did cross my mind as something that I could imagine, you know, is like you have an augmented, uh, you have a diminished reality glasses on, or really it would be augmented reality slash diminished reality glasses. And you're walking through the world and maybe there's an advertisement for something on a billboard somewhere. And you just don't see that. Because you you don't want to see a, a a billboard that says I don't know you know something about uh, like uh, Jesus saves right you're like I don't want to see anything about Jesus anywhere so instead it shows me a billboard for uh, I don't know like uh, buying orange juice
0: or something. hats with so anchors I don't have to on see. them
2: yeah exactly and so I could I could see I could see that maybe. But, like the fact that she, because it almost seems like we should be reversed, right? Like, I'm sitting here saying, well, maybe there could be billboards where they just take away the picture of Jesus and they replace it with some orange juice. But she's the one (laughs) starting off with, you know what? We could have glasses that make it so you don't see these trashy people and Jim. you know we could just move on with our lives and the homeless wretches we don't have to worry about them anymore it's as though they're not even there wouldn't that be great Jim, Jim do you remember
0: thing. do you remember that episode of Black Mirror where like the guy up. Yeah the guy gets like a restraining order put against him from his like ex-wife or something and because everyone has these like uh, uh like contact lenses that are essentially augmented reality that he is like blurred out and he's like muffled voice and you can't yes. hear him and he can't interact with
1: people. Like
0: that's where my mind went to when I heard this.
1: Yeah. In that episode, uh, the character played by uh, John Hamm. It's a great episode. It's, it's a Christmas themed episode of Black Mirror. It's on Amazon. You should definitely check it out. It's a very good series. And it's just amazing how much of stuff from Black Mirror is actually in life right now, because that was a dystopian technological future imagined by the show <laughs> creator just a couple of years ago. And actually, I think the show creator said, I'm not going to do any more of these because it keeps coming true and it's scaring the hell out of me. Right. But yeah, but this idea that, you know, you won't be able to see people. I mean, I, you know, there's a way I could get into it, though. I mean, I put them on and then look at my beer gut and it would disappear. It wouldn't be <laughs> there right. anymore. That would be yeah. fantastic. I would really, diminished really like reality that. glasses. Yeah, you know, that's right. <laughs> diminished reality glasses. My gear got diminish, D- diminished. Diminished waistline looking. glasses. <laughs> fantastic for my self-esteem. That would be that would be terrific. But I mean, but in, in reality, this is some real dystopian stuff, man. This is this is this is sc- scary. I mean, if, if, diminished reality glasses. You don't have to see garbage. How about picking it up? How about cleaning yeah. it up? And you don't, you know. But she says you don't have to see garbage. Or people. It's like, of course, you just switch that together. You don't have to see, as we have pointed out, the garbage people. You can just they won't even be they won't even exist. They just won't even be in your reality anymore. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, Chris- and, and, and again, what's funny about this stuff is that the the, the really wealthy people are ruling class. They're not going to live in the line. They're not going to need these diminished reality glasses. They're going to be out there on their ranches in Montana in wide open spaces. They're going to be eating the meat. And enjoying the fresh vegetables while the rest of us are not. Uh, that's that's really where this is going. If they're serious, they can pull it off. Uh, we're going to go Donny, a couple just, of minutes. Just,
3: just, just, just real quick, uh, one point on this. Um, I think this is uh, part of a larger trend that's been happening for a long time in which people are just becoming more and more uh, you know, used to just looking at it like a little screen all day and living in their own little world. And now this would just put that on steroids where literally oh, yes. you're not even interacting with like the outside world as it, as it actually exists. Yes. You're just in this little like self-created, you know, uh, uh, utopia that they are feeding through a screen to you. That is so scary. Oh, yeah, it's no, just, I mean, no like uh, who, who would ever want to live in a world like that?
0: We're we're gonna go a couple of minutes uh, long because I do want to get your takes on on this last story. So, um, there there was a couple of th- well, actually, let's let's play this clip, this uh, WEF elite clip. Let's start off this segment talking about this.
4: It's criticised for being elitist. Do you think that's unfair criticism?
2: Criticised for being elitist, but there's elite people here.
4: <laughs> At Davos a few years ago. You know, the Edelman survey showed us that the good news is the elite across the world trust each other more and more so we can come together and design and do beautiful things together. The bad news is that in every single country they were polling, the majority of people trusted that elite less.
0: Yeah, so the good news. The elites trust each other more. The bad news, people don't trust the elites. <laughs> so, so then uh, not only that, but there was an article that came out just recently from one of my favorite people, Michael Schellenberger, uh, which in the video, which in the, the, the article, which I can't find anymore. I'm not really sure why. But in it, he says, uh, by this time next year, Davos is a prediction by him. Davos will be seen as a reputational risk to politicians, celebrities and CEOs alike. Most of the credit for killing Davos goes to Russell Brand and Glenn Beck who have criticized the world economic forum from the left and right for years. So, and this kind of ties into something that we talked about a little bit last week as well, which is, you know, the ESG world economic forum Davos and all of that stuff. They worked best in the shadows, but no one's paying attention to them and they could just do these little backroom deals and all of that. They can set up the infrastructure for ESG and people don't even know what's going on. Now it's like the spotlight is on these people. Uh he, Schellenberger mentions Russell Brand and and Glenn Beck who talk about Davos and the World Economic Forum relentlessly. And when shows like this that we're doing right now expose all of the crazy stuff that they're talking about, it isn't too crazy to think – that maybe this is going to actually become a uh, a reputational risk if I go to Davos being a politician. Like, are people going to think that I'm like this elitist crazy types that, that want people living in a line and have diminished reality glasses? We're going to play with their DNA and all of that. So, Chris, I, I'm, I'm curious. Do you think that because of all the attention that's been brought to the World Economic Forum in Davos over the last couple of years, that their actual influence across the world is going to start diminishing? What do you think?
3: Hmm. Um, I don't think so. I think that, you know, we're moving towards an ever more globalized world, and they understand that this is their opportunity to take advantage of that. So, you know, 50 years ago, when, you know, nations were, uh, you know, much more, uh, you know, practicing uh, national sovereignty, the, the plans that the world economic forum was proposing were you know non-starters but nowadays with this you know just ever more globalizing uh you know economy and society that we live in i think that they are um of the mindset that this is like their you know opportunity to pounce
0: jim what do you think um do you think that uh do you think that their influence is going to be diminished by by this new attention and you are muted
1: I actually don't think their their influence will be affected at all. Um, if, if what Michael Schellenberger wrote comes true, it just means that like, oh, and all he wrote was that, well, one thing he wrote was that it would be a liability to be seen with the WEF. Mm-hmm. Um, just because they w- might lower the profile um, doesn't mean that they are not still influential. Uh, they would still have meetings. They would still have communications. And again, as I think I pointed out last week or a couple of weeks ago, Klaus Schwab has openly bragged about placing graduates of his philosophy into positions of enormous power all over the Western world. So that that will continue. Yes, that will continue whether or not, you know, um, you know, people pay attention to what's going on at these meetings or not.
3: And just one one more, one more very quick point on this. Uh, You know, if if the heat gets too hot, then what are they going to do? They're just going to rebrand it because they've already rebranded this so many times. First, it was Agenda 21, you know, so they'll just rebrand it right then it was uh
0: the great reset and then it was the davos agenda mm-hmm. uh justin i mean we here in illinois our our governor Uh, JB Pritzker went down to Davos and the only explanation for that is because he wants to increase his uh, you know international persona and attempts to maybe run for president one day but do you think that in the future because of all the stuff that I've been uh, repeating here that people maybe won't take that jump and will see this as "Eh, I don't want to be grouped in with these crazies
2: well, first of all, anyone who's ever seen J.B. Pritzker knows that he's not running for anything.
3: Um, oh, Second
2: of all, uh, second of all, I think that um, the buffet. Yeah, we, we, yeah, yeah well, maybe um, waddling, I think, is a better um, descriptor. <laughs> but anyway, I think I think that we were we were talking about this in one of the other videos that we did, and I gave a longer explanation. But the short explanation of what uh, I think is going on here with the World Economic Forum is that um, I think that they don't care what regular people think of the World Economic Forum, generally, other than it might get in the way of what they're trying to do. And so they try to silence those voices. And that's why you see all the stuff about disinformation and misinformation coming out of them as well, getting social media companies and big tech involved with what they're trying to do with the Great Reset, etc. But I would I would argue that this is all about raising the profile of J.B. Pritzker and whoever goes to WEF. Right. It's about raising the profile within the people, within that within that world at WEF. They don't care what regular people think. They care whether you're part of, they want to be part of the club. So as long as this is moving in that direction, and as long as WEF is still influential among other influential people, I don't think that it will matter. The, the whole esg model and the whole great reset model is built on the idea that elites are going to try to impose their values on everybody else regardless of what everybody else wants or thinks so i don't see this i don't see this slowing down anytime yeah. soon unless there's a major major backlash against it and that just hasn't happened
0: yet but hopefully will soon yeah, you know, I uh, I think that I agree with, with pretty much everything you guys said. I think maybe Michael Schellenberger spiking the football a little too early there, declaring victory a little too early. But I will say that I think it's undeniable that uh, the the place in the conservative lexicon for the World Economic Forum has never been more apparent than it is right now. They, they are definitely, when they do something, people are paying attention. And again, thanks to the work of... Glenn Beck, Russell Brand, and Justin and I and everyone here at the Heartland Institute and everything like that. But thank you all for tuning in to this episode of the In the Tank podcast. Join us every week for a new episode. Audio-only listeners that are catching this on a Friday, make sure to join us on a day earlier on Thursdays at noon Central Time where we're live streaming on Facebook and Twitter and Rumble and YouTube. And you can also help us out by hitting that subscribe button, hitting that like button, sharing this content, or just leaving a comment under this video. All of those things don't cost you a penny, only a cost you a second but help break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people if you'd like you could follow us on twitter at in the Tank pod or you can send us your comments and suggestions to the show by emailing us at in the at gmail.com jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you
1: at jay likely on twitter at heartland Inst on twitter and always visit heartland.org justin haskin same question
2: At Justin T. Haskins on Facebook, Twitter, Parler, and every other social media platform that you can think of
0: besides TikTok.
3: Chris Talgo, what do you have to pitch today? Uh, Stoppingsocialism.com. We got some new content up there. We have a new report on a poll that says that most Americans, majority of Americans, believe that we are already living in a socialist country. Oh, wow. All right. Fantastic. Thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week.